Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Amen. Well, thank you, Adam. Um, it's always exciting to get to preach God's Word. It's always uh, daunting to try to study. Uh, many of you know that I get very nervous when I get given the opportunity to preach. But one thing that the Lord does every time that I'm given this opportunity is I'm reminded of what, what a pastor we have and the, the work that he does to prepare messages and to do this week after week. Hannah, in dealing with my stress this week as I was worried about getting ready for this, uh, looked at me and she said, I hope you don't ever become a real pastor one day. And I thanked her for her encouragement <laughs> and uh, told her I needed to go study some more. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Um, we're going to be studying about being a disciple. In, in God's humor, I was away on vacation and I'd been studying in Exodus 32, a message that I planned to bring today. And on Tuesday, I was in Adam's office and asked what all happened while I was on vacation. And Adam said, well, you missed Jason. He preached um, Exodus 33 and just did a remarkable job. And so I said, really? And I went and listened to it. And he spent 15 minutes explaining 32 to prepare for 33. And so I had to change uh, messages in the middle of the week. But um, the Lord has used this in, in my life this week. I hope that you'll be encouraged as well. As we look this morning at discipleship and we t- look at Jesus calling the disciples, Jesus calling the twelve and saying, I want you to leave everything. Come and follow me. He literally walked up to them and said, these are the demands that I am placing on your life. I want you to get up and leave everything. I want you to deny everything and I want you to follow me. Now what a great opportunity it was for these guys, but Jesus didn't just tell them, you come with me, it's going to be amazing. He told them, I'm sending you out like, like sheaves among wolves. This is going to be hard. People don't like me and they're not going to like you either. He explained to them that things were not going to be great. It's interesting that as he had these 12 men and these men got to go and do life with him, that even among them there was one that wasn't a true disciple, right? We know the rest of the story. There was one who hung out with Christ, who served with Christ, who watched Christ do miracles, but yet didn't fully believe. And the danger for so many in churches today is that we can be seeking to be good people. We can be in church. We can listen to the stories. We can even do good works and yet not truly be a real disciple of Christ. And Jesus lays out for us here in Matthew chapter 10 some very hard commands, some very hard explanations of what it is if we really are disciples Pick up with me in Matthew 10, beginning in verse 24 as we read, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the household of God? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but fear, but cannot, cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who destroys both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father. 
But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will by no means lose his reward. First thing we see in this passage of Scripture is that a true disciple emulates his master. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. See, Jesus taught disciple by telling, discipleship by telling these guys, come and live life with me. Leave everything and we're going to go travel together. We're going to stay together. We're going to eat together. We're going to serve together. We're going to teach together. We're going to be together all of the time. It's an amazing picture that these disciples actually got to hang out and see Jesus and know everything about Him. You know, when we're in close proximity to others, we get to know them very well, right? Last week, we had the opportunity to go away with Hannah's family for an entire week. All of the grandkids and all of the in-laws in one house for seven days. We hung out together. We ate together. We played together. We did everything together. And at the end of the week, we got to know each other really, really well. You know what I'm saying, right? You have family, right? I won't say anything else about that. But here we see this picture of of Jesus and the disciples. They got to hang out with God in the flesh. And here's Jesus never sinned in his life. Here's Jesus fully committed to being what he's supposed to be. Here's Jesus facing opposition and and not flinching. And these guys are watching and finding out he really is the real deal. And there's something about them that says, I want what he has. There's something about them because they got to be around him. They said, I want to be like that. Now, what did Christ have that they didn't have? Well, first of all, he had unbroken fellowship with God the Father, right? Because he'd never sinned. Because he he understood all that Christ was and, 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 and all that God was. And he had that relationship. Jesus had never sinned. Why did Jesus never sin? Was he capable of sin? Was he tempted? The Bible says in every way. But there was nothing that was placed before him that would be more worthy than this relationship that he had with the Father. And these disciples got to see that. They got to see a love for God that was so supreme that nothing could sway him. This passage teaches us that that these 12 disciples had to pay a price to follow him. The cost for you and I is the same. If we're truly going to follow Christ, it's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be 
without sacrifice. What's that going to look like? Who, who in this life do you look up to? We think about emulating our teacher or emulating our master. So many times we look at sports figures that, that, have, that have achieved amazing success. We look at their dedication, at their hard work, at their determination, and we see the results of all their work played off, and we're like, that's awesome, I want to be like him. So many times we, we look at people that have great success in business or great success in life or their family looks amazing and we look at them and we're like, you know what, I see something there that I want. For me, it's that I want to be a, a runner. Y'all know, you've heard me talk about running before. I, I read articles about running. I, I, I look at people who run. I, I, I go out and meet people who run and I ask them what kind of shoes they have and, and what they eat and, and what it is that, that, what tricks that they do so that I might be a better runner. When I want to pursue this, I, I get up early in the morning and surround myself with people who want to go and run. I mean, that's just what you do. The spiritual application here for, for us is, is this. Jesus said it's enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the servant like his master. If I want to be a, a true disciple, I must want to be like the master, right? If I want to be a true disciple and I say he's changed my life, then I'm going to want to watch Christ and I'm going to want to be like him. I want to live like him. 1 John 2 says, Whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk the same way as Christ walked. A very stark command for us to truly live like Jesus did. You see, there's a, a distinction here between us saying that we want to be a disciple and deciding to live a disciple's life. I can talk all day about running. I can watch people run. I can go to races. I can buy new shoes. I do that sometimes. And Miss Hannah reminds me that I already have shoes that I don't use. I can, I can get all of the things that I would need to be a great runner. But that's all going to be pointless if I don't have the desire and the determination to get off the couch and go out and run. Right? And as, as believers today, we are, are in the same danger of coming to church and hearing about Christ and nodding our hair, head when we hear the Bible taught and going to Sunday school and, and saying the right things and yet not having the desire or the determination that our, our, our desire to live for Christ overrides the temptations of life. For us to understand what it means to be sold out to the Lordship of Christ. Jesus said it's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And I fear that the reason that there are so many passive Christians, so many Christians leading mediocre lives, frustrated lives, is because we still have other masters in our life. Because there are still things that are more important in our hearts than Christ. We understand Christ for salvation, but we haven't understood Christ for supreme Lord of our heart and of our lives. And, and, and Jesus says for us to put Him first. For the servant to be like the Master. Until we identify that we treasure Him more, we won't be able to move forward in our walk with Him. A call to discipleship is a call to be like Christ, to live like Christ, but it's also a call for us to be treated like Christ. Look with me in verse 26. Actually, the end of 25. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the household of God? 
So have no fear, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them fall to the ground apart from the Father. But even the hairs on your head will be numbered. Fear not, therefore you are more valuable than the sparrows. Not only will a disciple emulate the Master, but a disciple does not fear the world. Jesus said, we're going to be in trouble. Jesus said, we're going to be attacked. They attacked me, they're going to attack you. I'm reminded of the verse that the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. People who don't know Christ don't understand why we live the way that we do. And when we do it, we are going to face opposition. But the message of God is is right for those who are being saved. It's the power of God unto salvation. And when we we live this way, we're going to encounter troubles, but we're going to understand we're doing it the right way. Jesus told us in other parts of Scripture, "In in this world you're going to have troubles, but take heart. What? I have overcome the world. He promises that He will reign. And in this passage, He tells us three different times, Do not fear. You see, I think part of what holds us back from living the life, we know we're supposed to live sold out for Christ. We know we're supposed to take stands for Christ. We know we're supposed to rid our lives of sin. We know we're not supposed to conform to the patterns of this world. But we fear. We fear lots of different things. And and three different times he says, do not fear. In verse 26, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear the rest of the story. So many times when, when something happens to us, we, the, our response is immediately to, to point out the rest of the story. To tell, well, what really happened was this. Or let me tell you the rest of the story about them. Or no one knows that, that they have falsely accused me. And Jesus says here, don't worry about that. I'm on the throne. One day I'm going to judge the world. One day I'm going to make sense of all of this. You don't have to worry about what not, what's not known you worry about your relationship with me and I'll handle everything else. You don't have to justify yourself. You don't have to make this right. You don't have to worry about your appearances. You don't have to wonder about what other people think of you. You need to wonder about what I think of you. Do not fear what's not been made known yet. I'm going to expose those things. You've been justified by me. But not not only are we not to fear others, but, but we're to proclaim Christ from the rooftops. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And the reality is, is we would all say, absolutely, we should proclaim Christ from the rooftops. And it's easy for us in this room to raise our hands in worship. It's easy for us in Sunday school to to bring up a prayer request and to, to be vulnerable and to share with those in that room what's going on in our hearts. It's easy for us in this context... Okay, to be, to be proclaiming that Christ is, is where our hope is, but it's very different sometimes when we get in work situations, when we get out into the world, when we get out in other situations. How many times have we been in conversations and failed to speak of Christ? How many times have we been in conversations where we could have turned the conversation to point to Christ, where we could have entered into a conversation that actually says, the, well, the reason that I don't whatever... Is because Christ has changed my heart. And we, we miss out on proclaiming Christ from the rooftops. But why don't we? Out of fear. 
Short and sweet. It has to be out of fear. Because we're worried about how that might go. We're worried about what they might say. We're worried that we might offend. Well, the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. The the offense is not ours. The offense is that they are opposed to a holy God. The second do not fear here we see is in verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do not fear those that can kill you. Fear the Lord. Live in such a way with such abandon that it doesn't matter what happens in your life because you are only going to give an account for Him. You know, we've been on trips around the world and, and we, we've, we find ourselves in, in situations and in countries where Christian persecution is, is on a level that you and I don't even understand. Yes, it's getting harder to be a Christian in the United States. And yes, there's times that we face opposition of praying and living out our faith the way we want to. But these people literally are beaten for their faith. We've met them, we've talked to them, and we know what's going on in their lives. And yet we're told by Christ here, do not fear, be bold about me. I read on, in Voice of the Martyrs about a, a, a Chinese woman who had been in, in prison for six months because of this. You know, what was her offense? She had some friends in her house and they studied the Bible together. And because of that, she was sentenced for six months. And during the interview, they were asking her, what happened in jail? Tell me about your time there. And, the, and, and she smiled on her face and said, oh, what a wonderful time that was. And the interviewer asked the interpreter, no, tell her again, she's confused. I was asking about her time in jail. And she smiled and said, I know. It was so amazing that the Lord placed me there and I was able to share not only with the few that were in my house, but with everyone that I came into contact with in the jail. God was so faithful to give me the opportunity to speak of Him in that moment. And I'm afraid as I read stories like this that my fear stops me when I'm given opportunities to speak of the gospel, to speak of what Christ has meant in my life, to speak about how I can live for Him and to turn conversations that would bring Him glory. The third do not fear we see here is in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them fall to the ground apart from the Father. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than the sparrows. Jesus is teaching the disciples here, don't fear being unimportant. Don't fear that I'm not, I don't know everything. I know all of your circumstances. I know all of the circumstances of this whole entire event. No matter what you and I are going through, He says, I understand it. I know how many hairs are on your head. I know everything that's going on. Nothing happens that I'm unaware of. I'm reminded of Isaiah 43. He who created you, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And though the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel your Savior. You are not unimportant. You are not alone. You are a child of the King. And no matter what your circumstances are today, Jesus is saying, I am aware of those. Live for me anyway. But be warned that if we love the world, then all we're doing is showing our lack of love 
for God. We see in 1 John 2, Do not love the world or the things of the world. or any, as, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, he tells us do not fear because fear can paralyze us from being sold out to the Lordship of Christ and living for Him in ways that, that the world will not understand. It's very easy for us to get drugged back into a love for the world. It's very easy for us to take our mind and our eyes off of Christ and let the world be more than it should. But Christ is calling us to be true disciples and Christ is reminding us that we will live differently if He is Lord. A true disciple confesses the Lord. A true disciple confesses the Lord. He's already told us to shout it from the rooftops, but he goes one step further here. And Jesus tells us in verse 32, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, this is strong language from us. There's a great promise here that He's going to acknowledge us, but a strong warning that He will deny those who deny Him. He who acknowledges me before men, not just a prayer at church, not just a prayer at dinner, but clearly Jesus is speaking of a, of, of a lifestyle where we acknowledge Christ in all things. Who I am, my very identity is wrapped up in who I am in Christ. Because I've been forgiven of my sins, I live this way. Because of this, I do my job this way. Because of who I am in Christ, my family lives this way. Because of who I am, my treasures are spent this way. Because of who I am, this is my being. Everything that I have is about Him. And I confess that in all areas of my life. He who surrenders everything to Christ and follows Him and acknowledges Him will have nothing to worry about in heaven because they will be acknowledged there. Picture with me going to heaven, facing that judgment, facing a holy God who says, why in the world should I let you into my heaven? Do you not know what you've done? The only thing that we have on that day is to be able to say, I am a a, a woeful sinner, but yes, Christ paid the price for my sins. I know that Christ has forgiven me of my sins. The only person that can speak for us at the judgment, the only person that can speak for us will be Christ. And here we see Christ saying to you and I, if you're going to be my disciple, acknowledge me before men. Shout me from the rooftops and live this way. The the truth is is that that it's not just professing Christ. It's confessing Him in every aspect of our life and living as He is truly Lord. A true disciple cannot help but speak about how great their God is. It, It will overflow out of us if we're walking with Him. But whoever denies Jesus... By word, by actions, or even worse, by silence. Should take very careful look at the verse that says Jesus may not acknowledge you. We're in danger of Christ himself denying us in heaven. This is a loud warning for casual Christians. People who profess Christ but nothing has changed in their hearts. Matthew 7 says, Enter by the narrow gate, 
For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. See, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into heaven. Make sure that you truly are a disciple. It would be a terrible waste to spend your life trying to be a good person and trying to correct behavior and miss out on Christ. Take this warning seriously. Next, we see that a true disciple forsakes their family. A true disciple forsakes his family. Pick up with me in verse 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law. And a person's enemy will be those of their own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. A true disciple of Christ is willing to forsake everything, even family. You see, the Jews were waiting on Christ to come and bring peace to the earth. They were waiting for Him to restore Israel. And Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. Now, let me be clear. Jesus did bring peace. Jesus brings peace to sinners that are being reconciled to God. Jesus brings peace in our inner, inner being if we are believers. He is our peace in the midst of the life. But it's not peace on earth. There was nothing in the Bible that says Jesus is going to come and if He comes into your life that everything is going to go wonderful and life is going to go well. Jesus explained that His coming could divide families, that faith in Him and devotion to Him could even be a conflict with those you love the most. At least two times in Scripture we see Jesus telling people to come and follow Him, inviting people to come and be disciples, and they refuse to go because of family. Look with me in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 7. As they were going along the road, someone said to Him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. To another He said, Follow me. But the Lord said, let me first go and bury my father. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus' point here is our concern for the one who saved our soul must outweigh our concern for other relationships, even our family. Now, I realize what I'm saying is hard and that this isn't going to be easy. Christ realized that this was not going to be easy. However, it didn't stop Him from demanding our allegiance. True discipleship requires offering Christ's lordship. When we step back and look at our family relationships, the best thing we can do for them is to offer our lives to Christ. Because when we do that, we show our family that He means more to us than anything. You see, the more we show and demonstrate our allegiance to the Lord and the Lord's faithfulness in our lives, the more it will draw them to Christ. When we deny that or hide that or shield that from them, we deny them the opportunity to have a glimpse of how good the Father is. 
You know, many times I'm asked about going off on mission trips, and I, I do get the, the amazing opportunity to go all over the world and, and tell people about Christ, but I'm away from my family for 10, 12 days at a time. And people have asked, you know, well, is that really good for you? And I was like, no, it's not. It's, at times I miss my kids, at times I miss my wife. I, I, I would prefer not to be away from my family. But this is what God's called me to do. And I want my family to know that we're going to be obedient to Christ. Now I've failed in many areas as, 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 as a father. But, but this is one of those times where we've told our entire family we're going to go next spring break on mission. I'm so excited and we're saving now. Looking forward to taking all of our kids on mission. This last week we were talking about whether we were going to eat out or whether we were going to go home and have sandwiches. And the kids' first response is always to name the restaurants. And then the fight ensues over which restaurant will be the one. And then there's the tiebreaker and all of those things that have to happen when we say, are we going to go out to eat? But this time when we said, are we going to go out to eat or are we going to go home? One of my children said, Daddy, why don't we just go home and eat sandwiches so that we can save money so that we can go on mission and tell people about Jesus. And in that moment, there was this brief little, wow, it paid off. Wow, the things that I gave up to herald Christ just paid off in my son's soul. And, and, and all of our relationships, when we say we're going to be a disciple, when we say He will be supreme no matter what, it will affect those closest to us because they're going to see it. It will affect those at work because they're going to see it. We don't have to beat them down with the Bible or a verse. If we'll just live it, they will all of a sudden see what is in our heart and what our treasure really is. There's a kingdom mindset we miss when we allow relationships to trump our greatest relationship. And when we put Christ back on the throne, that changes. Now, the next thing we see in this passage of Scripture in verse 38 is a true disciple offers his own life. So we've talked about everything that we've, we've denied ourselves of. Now in verse 38... Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus just doesn't stop in this passage of Scripture, does he? He's beating us while he's down. Verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus calls us to total self-denial. Jesus calls us to come to a place to where we say what I want is nothing but what you want is supreme. He calls us to take up our cross, abandon ourselves, abandon our plans without reservation, make Him Lord of our life, to truly follow Him and to trust Him with all things, with no consideration of the cost to ourselves, even unto death. I mean, who does He think He is? Does he really know what he's asking to tell us to take up our cross even unto death? Who better could talk to us about the cross of Christ? Who better could call us to take up our cross? But the one who walked to Calvary and hung on a cross so that you might enjoy forgiveness of your sins. Who better than Christ to tell us to take up our cross and to follow Him? 
You see, when we dwell on the fact of Him on that cross, it will make this command easier for us to swallow. It will actually make this command our joy. But I think far too many times we get engulfed in our life and we get so busy with our life that we haven't dwelled on the cross. We haven't been reminded of the price that was paid so that we might have forgiveness. All we know is one day it's going to be okay and we're just going to get through until then. And we, when we're not focusing on the price that was paid, then this command on our life seems difficult. This command seems too hard for us to work out. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever pursues worldly success, whoever pursues worldly pleasure, in the end you might have pleasure along the way, but in the end you're going to be empty. Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever takes these demands on their life seriously, surrenders their plans to Christ, and understands that his ways are higher than our ways, they will find True life. John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, when we lose our life, when we give up on our plans, when we say it's not about me anymore, the abundance cannot even be measured because we have the fullness of all that we were created to be and the joy of knowing that we're walking with Him. The true disciple wants nothing of the world but's willing to take up their cross and have Christ in all of his fullness. And finally, we see that the true disciple receives his reward. A true disciple will receive their reward. Look with me in verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Matthew concludes all of these demands with a promise of one day we're going to be rewarded. One day we're going to be with Him and we're going to receive rewards because of how we lived here on earth. Anyone who receives our message receives Christ and anyone who receives Christ receives God. That's a pretty good deal for us to shout from the rooftops. We have the opportunity to give the gift of reconciliation to those that we come into contact with. And there will be obedience in heaven for those who are faithful. We may have some rewards here, but most of them will be on the other side. But in verse 42, he says, those who give to the little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, I tell you, he will not by any means lose his reward. We're surrounded by need every day. We're surrounded by opportunity to live out our faith every day. Jesus says here, even a cup of cold water for the right reason, to the right person, because we are children of the King, will be rewarded. The way we live matters. The long story short, as we conclude this passage of Scripture, is that Jesus has set a very high bar for us. If we're going to call ourselves a disciple, if we're going to call ourselves a believer, if we're going to say we're following Him, then He says, live differently. He says, live very differently. And it's going to mean 
losing our life. It's going to mean giving up our plans and our ways and our preferences in order that He might receive glory. I don't know where you are in this room today. I know that if you don't know Christ, that there's forgiveness is available. And if you're hearing about a relationship with Him that truly means letting go of everything so that you can have everything, that can be yours today. And for far too many of us in this room, myself included, if you're sitting here today hearing the demands of Christ that we surrender all, and you've taken the driver's seat again, you've kind of eased back in control of things, you've been manipulating things for your own good without releasing everything over to Him, I invite you to ask Him to reveal what it is that you need to trust Him with. What fears have taken over you, what circumstances there are in your life that you need to relinquish back to Him so that He can truly be Lord and we might live as disciples that honor Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we praise You for Your Word. We praise You that we get to come into this room and to open Your Word today. God, we thank You that You sent Your Son in order that we might enjoy this relationship. And God, we ask now, Lord, we ask that You would examine our hearts, that You would show us areas that we have not laid down at Your feet. Lord, we want to be disciples that honor You. We want to be disciples that shout the truth from the rooftops. We want to surrender our life, to lose this life in order to gain You. And God, I pray by Your Spirit that You would reveal in each of our hearts individually what it is in our life that that we haven't let go of. What it is in our life that's hindering us from complete fellowship with You. God, do what only Your 